0: This Gospel message is brought to you by the Redeemed Christian Church of God, Fountain of Love, Aberdeen, UK. Open your heart to receive this life-changing Word of God. Please sit down. What a great uh, privilege for me to uh, be here. Um, I think I I began to get to know Pastor Chris five or six years ago uh, now, and uh, what a privilege that was uh, for me, Uh, a man of God, a man of prayer, a man whose heart is after God and a God, I believe, and you believe, who is not finished with our nation yet. A God who is abundant in grace and mercy and faithfulness. And even in the midst of the secular onslaught that we find ourselves facing, a God who is greater and bigger and whose capacity to love is beyond our imagining, we believe in a God who reaches out to the uttermost of our nation we believe that there is no one so broken that they cannot be healed. No one so far off they cannot be brought near. No one so damaged they cannot find a new identity in the love of Jesus. And we believe that a time is coming when the revival, grace, and power of God will strike our land afresh, and hearts will warm to him as never before and churches will be full of people longing to find the grace and salvation of Jesus. And there will be queues outside doors as people make their way into the presence of Almighty God. That is our desire, is it not, as the people of God. And we refuse to accept the words of those round about us that church is in decline, that there is no future for us as a people. Rather, we say, all things are possible in him. All things. And if you believe that all things are possible, you believe that Aberdeen can be radically transformed by the sharing of the good news of Jesus Christ. You believe that as we go forward, whether it's in Seton or whether it is any other part of Aberdeen, when the gospel is unleashed in the power of the Spirit, walls break and chains are snapped and people dance in the freedom of the Lord as they find His inviting grace to them. Come and follow me, he says. It is an honor for me to uh, be with you. I... um, I have the privilege of leading Evangelical Alliance in Scotland. I've been doing that for over 10 years now. Evangelical Alliance has been going for about 170-odd years, and it was a desire of church leaders at the time to say, how do we unite together to pray? How do we share good news of Jesus together? How do we stand shoulder to shoulder? How do we speak into parliament and places of power the good news of Jesus? And some of them read John 17 together and found in John 17 that the world will believe the Father sent the Son when we're one. And that, that oneness was not a, a, a low set bar where we just agree with one another, but that oneness is a missional agenda set by Jesus Christ that the world will believe when they see us living in love and forgiveness with one another. And so they decided they would not try and find uniformity, but rather they would see and bless the diversity of God's grace and the wonder of the changes happening around them in the church and say, we belong together. In Jesus Christ, you are my brother or my sister, and together as we pray and as we live, we will see our nations transform." And today, the Evangelical Alliance across the UK is more than 4,500 churches of every denominational stream, of independent and Anglican and Presbyterian and every other thing you can possibly imagine, believing that in some way we need one another. And I want to suggest to you that in the Scotland of today, as we face challenges we've never faced before, as we as church are moving from the center of our society to the margins, as people no longer understand what it is that we believe, as people have turned their back and are making it harder and harder for us to live out a godly life in the midst of society, brothers and sisters, we're going to need one another even more than we have in the past. We are going to have to speak with one voice, pray with one heart, share the gospel together, believing that we together in the power of God will see transformation coming. But it is going to be a battle for us in the decades to come. It was uh, uh, amazing for me yesterday afternoon to spend some time with your young adults uh, group doing a question and answer thing on, um, on discipleship, and you have some amazing young adults as part of your uh, church community there, and they really uh, stretched me and challenged me with uh, with questions, which was, uh, which was really good. I'm not sure if they got the answers they were hoping for, uh, but they, they came up with some amazing questions, and... Um, As part of that, I was explaining to them that perhaps the biggest issue that we have today is how do we walk radically in the world for Jesus Christ when the world has turned its back upon the good news of Jesus? What does it mean to be a radical follower of the Lord in a secular age? how do we live and influence people for good and for the gospel when the majority of those round about us don't understand or have never encountered the gospel before? We live in a fourth generation, perhaps more than that now, of unchurched people. What do I mean by that? I I mean that I I used to… Uh, be a a church pastor in a a church in a big area, and I would go and take a funeral of somebody, and perhaps there would be 50, a woman, and she'll have died without any contact with church at all. And there in the house, when I'd go to visit, there would be her her daughter that she had when she was about 15. So, she was 35, second generation, never been in a church, never had anybody pray for them, doesn't understand the Christian story. She is 35, and she had a child when she was about 16 or 17. That child is now 18, third generation. No church membership, no connection, no prayer, no understanding of the gospel, don't know who Jesus is. She's expecting a baby, fourth generation. All over Scotland, there are a mass of people who have never heard the good news of Jesus. They do not understand it. All they know about church is what they see on TV, and that's never a good thing, is it? (laughs) We're never painted in a really good light on TV. You know, when there's a when there's a Christian or a, a Anglican vicar or something in a murder mystery on TV, they're always pretty much going to be the one who did it, aren't they? We're always painted in the margins or ununderstandable or weak or all this kind of things, and that's the only connection some people ever have had with what faith is. So for some of us, that's a huge challenge. But for others of us, we're sitting there saying the fields are white unto harvest. Everywhere you go, wherever Jesus sends you in Scotland today, there will be people who have never, ever heard the good news. It's not just that they don't like it, they don't want it, it's they don't understand it. Nobody has ever gone to them and offered to pray. No one has said to them there is something beyond where they are. Nobody has said to them that their chains of hopelessness can be broken. Nobody has pointed them to a Savior who loves them and is committed to them and has died for them. We have amassed millions of people in our nation yet to hear the good news of Jesus. What an opportunity for you and I. If you have anything of an evangelistic spirit, this is your day because you cannot help but uh, rub shoulders with, maybe not shake hands with at the moment, but rub shoulders with people who have never, ever, ever in their lives had the lavish love of Jesus explained to them. At the same time as that we live in a nation that is, we're told, the fastest secularizing nation in Europe— The nation where the church is declining fastest, and the rules of secularism are taking more and more and more control. If you uh, follow the news, you'll know that in the last uh, month or so, Franklin Graham, some of you will have heard of Franklin Graham, some perhaps not, but Franklin Graham, an American evangelist, uh, wanted to come to preach in the Glasgow Hydro to thousands of people on a tour of the U.K., in the past, Franklin Graham has tweeted all sorts of things, some helpful, some not so helpful, if I'm honest, but he's tweeted all sorts of, of things, uh, some things about, about sexuality and about a biblical view of marriage. And then just as he's making the final preparations to come to Scotland and other parts of the UK, Glasgow City Council said, we don't want somebody like you preaching in our country and they canceled the booking. No platforming for somebody with orthodox Christian views. The next day, in Edinburgh at Destiny Church, I don't know if you know Destiny Church, a network, church planting network. Destiny Church, every year, they... um, they have a conference which is called Unleashed. It's a leaders conference. They bring uh, speakers from all over uh, all over the UK and sometimes beyond. One of their half a dozen speakers also had tweeted an American also had tweeted some stuff um, about uh, gender and and things of of that sort. And then without any warning, um, suddenly Destiny Church got an email from the Usher Hall in Edinburgh that they've used before to say. Your booking has been cancelled. No explanation. Your booking has been cancelled. They spent a lot of money on planning, preparations, booking of hotels, and, and all, all these sort of things. They went back to the council and said, Why uh, have you cancelled our booking? Well, and the Usher Hall said that actually the major shareholder of the Usher Hall is Edinburgh City Council. And the council has decided that uh, one of your speakers is tweeting things that we are not happy about, so you cannot have any council building for your conference. Now, these are are big sort of uh, things that that we're seeing, but actually every day, some of us are finding that our faith has been challenged, our views are no longer acceptable, That whether we're in a staff room or in a workplace or anything else, we feel a pressure upon us to conform to the things of the world. I'm sure you find that. Is that not the case where you are? And to follow Jesus as a disciple of Jesus is pushing us beyond social orthodoxy, pushing us to the margins pushing us to ask questions about how do we live in this rapidly secular age? What does it mean for us to stand up for the Lord in all these situations? How do we journey in a different place? Because Scotland is not the Scotland of 20 years ago. We are being pushed further and further and further and further from the center of life into a place of minority. I believe that God, in His subversive and amazing grace, works from the margins back into the center. I believe that all the idols of the world will not be able to hinder the plans of our God. I believe that while situations look difficult, God is bigger, and God is greater. And I see a day when we see Christians involved in law and business and education and politics and living for Jesus and living in the world and living kingdom values of grace and mercy. And bit by bit, as the world says, we no longer believe that actually the transforming power of the gospel is making our nation into a just and merciful and Christ-centered nation all over again. And I want to say to you, if God has called you to work in these kind of areas, whether it's engineering or education or or wherever it is, whether it's at home and you're working uh, with your children, God has called you for such a time as this. To be creatively thinking about how I live my life for Jesus Christ, pointing others to Him, in situations of radical secularism and the agenda we're facing. Over the next two or three years, as I look at some of the things that are being proposed in, uh, in our parliament, it will only get more challenging. It will not get easier. And if you want to follow some of the things that are coming out, the education bill, the uh, gender Uh, act of various things just of this year, then you should follow EA Scotland on Facebook. We're continually alerting the church to the issues that we're facing, and we're about to release a small booklet on education. Do you know what your children in primary four or five or six are going to be being taught about sexuality? If you don't, you need to find out. Do you know what the government is, is suggesting about Gender Recognition Act and gender fluidity and the possibilities of changing gender without even seeing a doctor and dropping the age that you can do that from 18 to 16 in our nation, in our time, where the consultations close in two weeks? If you're aware of these things, you have to actively engage with them. But sometimes we are so caught up in the things we're doing, we miss actually some of the things that the enemy is doing, and we become blind to them because we're so focused on our own small bit, we don't see the big picture. The big picture is a spiritual battle over our nation, and all of us have to be ready All of us have to be prayer warriors. All of us have to be confident in the gospel. All of us have to be living radical Christian lives. Like uh, Pastor Chris, I have a passion at the moment for saying, how do we then equip both you and the next generation who are coming up to face this, to live faithfully as disciples of Jesus, as the pressure almost like a vice comes upon us, how do we stand firm? How do we live for God? What is it going to look like for us as the people of God to bring transformation in our nation? And I want to suggest just a few things uh, to you that might help you and, and all of us as we travel this journey of following Jesus in this changing world. I want to read from Matthew chapter 9. I'm going to read from verse 1 of Matthew chapter 9. Jesus stepped into a boat, crossed over, and came to his own town. Some men brought to him a paralyzed man lying on a mat. When Jesus saw their faith He said to the man, Take heart, son, your sins are forgiven. At this, some of the teachers of the law said to themselves, This fellow is blaspheming. Knowing their thoughts, Jesus said, Why do you entertain evil thoughts in your hearts? Which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Get up and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, "'Get up, take your mat, and go home.' Then the man got up and went home. When the crowd saw this, they were filled with awe, and they praised God who had given such an authority to man. Jesus is the one with all authority.'" Amen? Amen. Jesus is the one who forgives sins. Amen. And there may be today that you've come into this place and you wonder can God really forgive me? I have done this this week. I have wandered in this direction. I have gone into things I should not have gone into. You need to know that Jesus, only Jesus, has the power to bring forgiveness but he is just and he is able to forgive us our sins. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at a tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and the disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, Why does a teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but those who are ill. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have come not to call the righteous... But sinners. Amen. Thanks be to God for his word. There we go. I've often tried to picture um, Matthew sitting in a normal day in his little tax booth, working for the authority of the world, totally at one with where he is, with what he's doing. Taking people's taxes, not being popular uh, as tax collectors, aren't popular, weren't popular then, not popular now. I hope I'm not offending any tax collectors here in the congregation this morning. (laughs) And suddenly, into the midst comes Jesus. The Jesus who has just miraculously enabled a paralyzed man to walk and said to him, your sins are forgiven. And Jesus walks up to the tax booth and says wonderfully to him, follow me, follow me. Every disciple of Jesus, before then and since then, hears that call, will you follow me? Come follow me. You heard it, didn't you? you heard it. At some point in your life, wherever you were, you heard that call of Jesus Christ to you, you come and follow me. Our identity as believers in Jesus is based upon that call. It's based upon the way in which Jesus stops right in front of us and says to you and says to me, you come and follow me. And I just love the way in which Jesus stops and looks at that individual and an eye to eye contact with him asks him this key question Are you willing to leave the safety of your tax booth? Are you willing to leave what you already know behind? Are you going to give up on safety and security? And are you going to follow? Brothers and sisters, we sometimes lose the wonder of our call to become disciples of Jesus. We sometimes let it skim over us, or we think, well, that was 20 years ago or 25 years ago or whatever. Let me tell you, your identity is rooted in that call, because it was in that call that Jesus showed his whole heart of love for you, not to leave you in the tax booth of your life, but to offer you an opportunity to step out into the unknown with him, to see him in all his glory, to go with him into this journey of faith, to get up and move from where, he, where you were and go after him. We need to remind ourselves of our call in Jesus, you need to remind yourself. I sometimes picture it, and I was telling the uh, young folks uh, yesterday, I sometimes picture it like a dance. you 're in the dance hall, maybe it 's a prom at your school, and you 're standing by the wall or you 're sitting at the table with your friends and you 're kind of hanging out there looking at everybody else, but you 're safe with everybody. And then suddenly, from the other side of the room, walks somebody special, and they stop right in front of you, and they put out their hand to you and say, will you come onto the dance floor with me? And you kind of look at all your friends, a little bit lost, a little bit unsure, and so you say, actually, I don't know how to dance. And they look at you with eyes of complete and utter grace and love and say to you, actually, I know the dance steps of every dance that there ever has been and ever will be. Do you trust me enough to leave the wall and leave your friends and come onto the dance floor with me? At that moment... You have a decision to make, don't you? The decision you have to make is Am I willing to leave everything that I've known before behind? Am I willing to step up, sometimes far away from friends, sometimes unto the unknown? Am I willing to step up because I trust the person who has called me? Do I trust the person who has called me enough to get up and leave it behind? and journey with him? That was the question that Matthew had to answer. And I love the way he answers it, really. He answers it in two ways. He recognizes that Jesus has all authority. Just say that with me. Jesus has all authority authority. Can we say it again as if we mean it? Jesus has all authority. He has all authority to bring transformation. He has all authority to lift you from where you are. He has all authority to snap your chains. He has all authority to heal you and to forgive you and to set you in a path again. He has all authority to bring hope and love and life to you. Jesus has all authority And it may be today you don't really in your heart of hearts believe that. Theologically you do. In your mind you probably do. But practically do you? Do you believe Jesus has all authority over the situations you're facing? Do you believe Jesus has the authority over the things in your family life? Do you believe Jesus has all authority over the things of your finances? Do you believe Jesus has all authority to be able to transform your workplace for you? Jesus has all authority. Not partial authority. All authority. Do you believe that by a word, Jesus can calm the storms that you are facing? No matter how big the waves are, No matter how rocky your boat is, he has all authority. And so, Matthew just gets up and leaves his past behind. He does two things. He steps out of the tax booth, which is great. He steps out of the tax booth, and then he starts to follow how well are you following? I believe you stepped out of the tax booth of your life. I believe when you heard that call of Jesus to come and follow him, you did. But the question is, how well are you following? How close are you staying? There is a a little phrase that's used in Judaism about rabbis, and it, it says, some disciples of rabbis stayed so close to them that they were covered in the dust of the rabbi's feet. And what that means is that you were so close to him that as he was walking in the desert, the dust from his feet was was coming up and you were so close you were being covered by it. Would that be an explanation of your walk with Jesus right now? Are you so close to him Are you being covered in the dust of His feet? Are you following so closely as your heart after Him? Do you long for Him like nothing else? Are you desperate? Are you thirsty? Are you longing for more of His presence, for the deeperness of God, for the intimacy of God, for the closeness of God that nothing can compare with? Is that your heart? Do you want to spend hour after hour after hour lying, waiting on his presence to fall? Is that what you're after? Are you saying, Jesus, I will go anywhere after you Because your presence is enough for me. Your presence is enough. I don't care whether I'm going to be popular in the workplace. I don't care what happens in the secular world. I don't care if people disabuse me of things. I don't care if people are talking behind my back. I don't care about whether I get promotion or not. I don't care about any of these things. What I care about only and absolutely is you, Jesus. It is all about you, Jesus. I long to stay close to you, Jesus, because in you I find grace and love and life and truth. It is all in the following. And I tell you, in the nation in which God has placed us at this moment, there will be huge challenges to put distance between Jesus and ourselves. It will be harder to radically follow Jesus. It will be less and less popular. We will have to think harder about what we say and how we say it and how we creatively engage with the people around about us. But as our hearts desire to go where Jesus is, to wait upon Him, and I guess as a prayer director of all, all these churches, you might expect me to say this. But actually, I believe if there was ever a day for intercessors to be on their knees for our church and our nation, this is a day. I believe that God is calling us to a new spirit of prayer. Prayer a new longing and desire, a new breaking of heart, because it seems to me that sometimes we are taking the things of this nation and they're not bringing us to our knees, and they're not making us weep with compassion over cities. Let me ask you, as Jesus wept over Jerusalem, when he looked at that city in its lostness, when was the last time you wept over Aberdeen? or wept over Scotland and said, God, you have got to do something about our nation. God, you've got to move like you have never moved before. God, you've got to show your grace and your glory upon us. Fall afresh upon us, O God. Revive our spirits and renew our hearts, and make us into salt and light as never before. And wherever you scatter us, scatter us in such a way that we bring healing to the nation. Use us, O God, so that every week our testimony time gets longer and longer and longer and longer as people have story after story after story to tell of a God who is answering prayer, a God who is changing our nation. For such a time as this, you have been called. And so have I. But the question is, how well are we following? Do we have an absolute desire not to lose sight of Jesus? You see, could I suggest that that some of us have not moved at all, but Jesus has kept moving. (laughs) And so we can barely see him in the distance now. Time for some of us to run quickly to get closer, to move on. Very quickly in the last five minutes or so, I love that Matthew seems to have invited all his friends who are all tax collectors and sinners to hang out for dinner to meet Jesus. His first act after he follows is to let everybody else see his transformed life and the one who had transformed it. His natural life is to let other people know. Once I was in a tax booth, and I was just like you, and I had the same thoughts as you, and the same drives as you, and the same ambitions as you, and then I met someone, and they called me out of the booth. And as they called me out of the booth, my life was transformed. You have to meet him. You have to meet him. I picture Matthew as Ah, overwhelming, abundant, amazing desire for other people to encounter Jesus, that he can't stop himself. Let's have everybody around for a kind of buffet dinner, and let's have Jesus there. Can I suggest that many of us have become too timid? Many of us are hiding our lights under a bushel, Many of us are living passionately on a Sunday and not passionately on a Monday or a Tuesday or a Wednesday. Many of us are, are driven in our worship to declare a whole host of things over, over our nation and over ourselves, but actually when we go back into the hard places of the world, we're keeping quiet. We're saying nothing. We're living to be light rather than living in love. And as Christians, we are never, ever going to win a popularity contest if we stay faithful to Jesus, except with the person who matters, who will say, Well done, good and faithful servant, who will say, My beloved son, my beloved daughter, look at them, shining like stars in this generation of darkness. We need to be bolder. We need to be more creative. We need to be engaging all over the place with those fifth-generation non-church people who know nothing. We need to be finding ways, outlandish ways of loving people like we have never loved people before, in such a way that we provoke people to think differently about Jesus. We'll burst the myths of secularism, not completely, but we'll start to turn them when we really become hope-filled, lavish lovers of Christ and of the world. The only way that we will transform our nation in the power of God is when we start to live radically loving ways. Didn't Jesus show us that? In the Sermon on the Mount, didn't he say, when people ask you to walk this distance, walk way beyond it? They will never have experienced that before. When somebody asks you for a jacket because they don't have one, give them your favorite coat. They won't have an answer for that. They'll never experience that before. And in a nation like our nation at the moment where everybody is out for themselves and we are individualistic by nature, there is no antidote to lavish love and outlandish hope. And that's why God has placed you in the staff room that you're in or the street that you're in around the neighbors that you've got. That's why God has placed you strategically where he has placed you, so that you can live in lavish love in Jesus Christ. The tax collectors and the others meet, and out of it, the Pharisees are provoked into asking questions, which allows Jesus to answer that he has come for sinners, not for righteous. The conversation spreads beyond the initial group wider because those who are wider do not have an answer to the love of God. How will our nation be transformed? It will be transformed by you and me. So desiring of Jesus more than anything else, holding on to everything else lightly and going after Him as we have never gone after Him before, and allowing His grace and mercy to so fill our lives and touch our lives and transform our lives that when He sends us back out over the city, we will shine with grace and love in such a way that we will provoke conversations, and we will not have to be the people who start conversations about Jesus, God will supernaturally start the conversations because people will see Christ in us, the hope of glory. And that is what you and I are called for. Let us pray together. Will you stand with me? You're the one of all beauty and all majesty and all grace. And we bless you and we thank you for that moment in our lives when you walked past our lives and said, come and follow me. When you took us from those places of despair and granted us an oasis of hope. And we thank you with more than we can possibly say that you are the God who is for us, the one who is with us, the one who does not turn his back upon us, the one who does not become apathetic towards us, the one who never goes cold towards us. You are the passionate God. Passionate for your children. Now we thank you that even now as we gather, where two or three are gathered, you are here. Your spirit hovering in this room. Making Jesus known to us afresh. And we ask that your spirit might fall, that we might have a fresh revelation of who you are. Oh God, grant us fresh revelation. We need to see you. Take the curtains from our eyes that we would see you. That we would see you in all your glory and your splendor. That we would see you as King of kings and Lord of lords. That we would see you as Lion of Judah. That we would see you, the one to whom every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And Lord, if there are those of us who are struggling at the moment, perhaps you're struggling in your workplace, have a sense that God is saying to some of us, he understands the situations we have found ourselves in. And it's hard. It's hard trying to live for you in this secular place. It's hard to know what to say in response to people in that staff room place or in that workplace or in that home situation and it's hurtful and we feel bruised and we feel pain. And I believe if that's you, if you feel as though your heart is aching, that you've been hurt by people round about you, mocking you, speaking behind your back, trying to deny your testimony, you need to know this morning that Jesus has been there with you. In every ridicule, in every painful word, in every bad reaction, Jesus has been with you. And Lord, I pray that your Spirit would come and bring healing to our hearts. Those who are bruised of heart and spirit, breathe new healing upon them, that their hearts would grow with fresh love. That they would be able to put their past behind them and step into the new day confident that they are loved as your child. And that you who has sent them into this place is the one who goes before them and the one who surrounds them and the one who protects them. You are our protector. And Lord, we pray for a new season of confidence and boldness. Lord, give us the right things to say. Show us what to say. Give us wisdom and clarity. Open opportunities for us that will lead to kingdom advancement in our age, O God. And we pray, we we think of people in our workplaces right now, God, who are hardened to the gospel. And we pray for a supernatural release that softens their hearts. That we will start to talk to them and gradually, but surely, their hearts will open to the word of the Lord, which is living and powerful. Oh God, touch hearts, we pray. And we pray for our nation. Oh God, oh God, have mercy upon our nation. Oh God, do not turn your back upon Scotland. Oh God, will you come afresh? You have visited our nation in revival power in the past. You have touched thousands and thousands and thousands of hearts. You have revived your church in our history. Revive it now, O God, we pray. Revive it with your supernatural power. Have mercy, O God, upon us. Uh, Touch us in ways that we could only ever possibly imagine. Come and revive us, we pray. Come and revive us. And start with us, O God. Start in our hearts. Soft in our hearts. That we would burn for you. Forgive us our sins, O God. Forgive us our coldness of heart. Forgive us when we have refused to hear your voice. Forgive us when we have run after other idols. Forgive us when we have turned our backs upon you, O God. Have mercy, we pray. O God, come and heal our land. From north to south, from east to west, from borders to highlands may your spirit fall in the wonderful glorious name of Jesus amen for more information on what you've heard please visit our website at www.fountainoflove.org.uk You'll also find other media presentations available to you. Stay blessed in Christ Jesus. Amen.